You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Sovereign Self is about individual empowerment and freedom. In exploring this sovereign self, our discussions will encompass self-love, oneness, and diverse spiritual understandings as life is a journey of expansion which never ends. Join author Martin Neil Campbell, trainer and business facilitator Karen Murphy, and spiritual archaeologist Ron Mayer as their discussions help lead their listeners into an ever-expanding journey of peace, love, joy, and freedom to become who you desire and be your sovereign self. Welcome to Sovereign Self. I am your host, Martin Neil Campbell, and your two fabulous, wondrous, and absolutely divine co-hosts are Ron Mayer and Karen Murphy. Say hello, Karen and Ron. Hello, everybody. Hi, folks. How are you? Hey, and neither of them said hello, Karen and Ron. There you go. Uh, <laughs> We're evolving. There, I'm, yeah. saving, I'm saving that for the closing. Goodbye, Ron and Karen. There you go. <laughs> On this program, our topic is an interesting one. It is free will. And I know it's a topic that many people talk about in, in spiritual or religious circles. And what is free will? We're probably not going to get into it much from a country or personal free will perspective in where you live and what governments do to you and everything else. We're going to do it more from a universal perspective. Free will is, we believe, choice, making your own decisions, and but it also means accountability. From what we've said over various programs, we've often said we believe we are co-creators in our reality. Given that we're all one, we all co-create together, but we can create our own reality and we are creating our own reality. The interesting thing that, about that is to do that, and I think it goes back to many old statements about we're created in the image of God and everything else, is that we are indeed aspects of God. We're individuations that are part of God, mm-hmm. but still have our own will. One thing that comes up a lot in understanding that point of view is we don't believe that God is a judgmental God. There is no judgment from God. And I know a lot of religions push that God does judge. But when looking at that, and I think we're all in agreement, are we guys? Mm -hmm. That we don't believe that God does judge. One of the things that comes into, and there's a couple of things there for free will, is if God intervenes in anything we do without us asking just automatically and against anyone who has free will or wishes means we don't have free will or wishes when if god intervenes then we don't have free will because he's intervening and changing things so you either have free will or you don't the other piece there too of course is if god is a judgmental god and says you do this or these will be the consequences then we've lost all ability for free will right off the bat there as well to me anyway free will means that there is no judgment and Free will is exactly what I believe we have. But when you do something, what you send out, you will get back. Mm -hmm. So if you send out all sorts of negative behaviors and unloving behaviors, it's not a judgment when unloving stuff comes back to you from other people. It's just accountability and the consequences of acting that way. Very rarely do people return hate with love. I mean, they should. Very few people do that. So there are consequences to your actions. So if you're going to be mean to someone or harm someone, then quite likely you will not expect them to not try and harm you. So everything you do has accountability, and that's just a simple example. 
to me, one of the problems here is, is that when we look at free will and look at whether God judges us and has rules and everything else, is that we have separated God. And it is this separation of God from us that I think causes all the problems and conflicts mm-hmm. I've seen when people are discussing free will. Mm-hmm. The one piece they're missing is that we're aspects of God. Because mm-hmm. as soon as you look on us as separate, then free will has a whole myriad of problems that doesn't even make sense. Mm-hmm. And I see that in discussion after discussion, and it all to me boils back to it's because you're looking at God as separate. And I don't believe God is separate. And when we talk about consequences as well, accountability and consequences, I think all that boils back to responsibility. Important. And what I mean by responsibility, I would say in essence and simplicity, it's coming from your heart. If you're responsible, you always come from your heart and you have loving actions and loving behaviors. If you're not responsible, you're not coming from your heart and you have harming and harmful behaviors. That creates the consequences. But interestingly enough, if you come from your heart, there are consequences for that too. You come from your heart and you give love and you and you are you have kindness, charity, all of the step empathy. The consequences are that you get that back tenfold. It's a consequence, but I'm not necessarily using consequence in this term as a negative connotation. And I think, Martin, that, that's kind of, and I love love your introduction, I guess. Um, the one thing I would like to talk about a little bit is that, that terminology of consequences. Mm-hmm. And it, it might just be me, but personally, I feel that has a negative connotation. However, uh, I'm a firm believer of accountability and responsibility. Right. And from that comes outcomes. And to me, outcomes is the result of your actions, back to what we've talked about in many, many programs, your thoughts translate into your words, translate into your actions. Mm. And all of those things have what I deem as outcomes. I don't actually look at them in terms of consequences because that's very negative to me, but it does actually have outcomes. And your last statement, Martin, uh, rang true to form for me. And that was, it could be if you put out an abundance of love, you get an abundance of love back. I don't see that as a consequence. I see that as an outcome. Well, that makes sense. I understand that because a lot of people do look on it that way. To me, I quite often use consequence in its pure, I guess, definition sense. Well, people use it negatively. The true definition of consequence is a result or effect from an action or condition. Yes. So it could be a positive effect. Doesn't mm-hmm. have to be or a, ne- right. a positive result. It doesn't have to be a negative result. But I I understand where you're coming from, Karen, because most people say, you know, there are consequences to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> but that's not actually what the word means. <laughs> no, that's what it's how we use it. They're adding an emotional implication here, right? Yeah. Over, with overextended use, has a tendency to to create a negative response to yeah. that term. And if you were, as I, I also agree with Martin, if you were to look at the term without the negative emotional implications, all it means is that definitely there there are consequences or there's a reaction. There is the law of reciprocity that is actually at work here. So what you send out will come back. Right. I agree with your doing that with the word not using it, Karen, because too many people misinterpret it. Right. And, that's and to avoid that's misinterpretation. Yes. That's a very wise move. So there Well, you it sends out that, that <laughs> negative vibration, right? Yeah. Which could be misleading. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Don't want that. No, we don't want people fearing. People are so 
deathly afraid of judgment. And wow. that is something that is that has been drummed into us from our religions. And the fact that many, many, if not all religions, have a judgmental God that if you don't follow his edicts, somehow you will lose favor and he will judge you. Martin at the beginning was, you know, basically stating that there's something crazy about that idea because if God gives you unconditional freedom to choose exactly what you want, that would mean that there is absolutely no judgment in whatever choice that you make. Mm-hmm. Not- None whatsoever. The moment that you think that there's going to be a judgment of any type from creator implies that you no longer have free will. And this would make a hypocrite of God. I agree. That's that's exactly it. That when you make God a judgmental God and say there's all these rules and everything else, I mean, obviously, as I said, it gets rid of free will. But it also makes God an unloving God. It makes God something to fear. It's interesting that I've run into a lot of religious people who believe that's exactly what God is. And I often wonder if it's because they themselves are afraid of taking responsibility for everything in their lives, for fear that in so doing, they will not be able to withstand their own self-recriminating judgments. I think that could be part of it. I think a lot of it boils down to religions use fear to control people. That's right. So religions, of course, bring fear in because then they can control you more. They can get more of your money. They can have you as part of their their group and follow their will, mm-hmm. which I believe is where obviously most of it comes from. That fear is, I think, doing a total injustice in my mind, from my beliefs anyway, to God and what God represents. But how do you in a community, let's say you're in a community that is 98% whatever religion, And that religion says you have to fear God, you have to follow these rules. And in many cases, they say if you don't follow the rules, we'll punish you. Mm -hmm. How do you in that environment easily get out of it to state the opposite? It's it's such a trap. The The only way is through the individual awakening. If there is enough of a spark of what I call the Christian energies still within you, if you still have a certain amount of soul presence in in you that can turn you around, even in the face of being in in a judgmental religion, you can awaken, and this is where the entire concept of the sovereign self has blossomed and bloomed, is that for me personally, that's exactly what happened with me. I was and still am within a very judgmental Catholic religious faith. And yet I am developing my own autonomousness, my own God-given self-sovereign right within the religion. This is the only way that you can escape from the confines of a of religious dogma and doctrine is by awakening and developing the own, your own sovereign self. Karen, you were going to say something. That is what Ron was talking about, and that was from a perspective of, irrespective of what religious belief we may or may not be involved in, mm-hmm. I actually think there's a lot of really good things out there. And mm-hmm. I try not to say this religion or that religion or this confine or that confine, but more about coming from within. For me, it's it's about living within a community and coming from within who I am. As I 
go along this journey of self-sovereignty, uh-huh. and it goes back to the topic of tonight's show being free will. Uh-huh. So I don't think of it in terms of escaping the religion. I think of it in terms of embodying my beliefs within my belief system. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. That's exactly what I was trying to infer when yes. I said that. Even though I am still, 19% of my life has been based on experiencing within the Christian faith. Right. That's not something that I would want to willingly throw away. I don't throw the baby out with the bath type of thing. Yeah. So there, and you're right, there are many, many wonderful things still to be found in religions. Yes. If I intoned otherwise, uh, that's certainly not what I meant to do, because I certainly quote enough Bible quotes (laughs) (laughs) to say that I think Jesus and his preachings were were just phenomenal, amazing, and and many others too. But that doesn't mean I have to follow that, oh, I have to go through a priest to confess or I have to do this. That to me has nothing to do with what Jesus taught. I think it becomes an individual choice, choice which yeah. goes back to the whole concept that God gave us of free will. Mm, exactly. And that is, there are a variety of religions, and I've explored many of them. Many of them resonate with me on a number of different levels, but I'm with you, Ron. I'm not a lover of throwing the baby up with the bathwater, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, I, I'm happy to, to say I don't follow any particular, how do I put it, any organized religious belief. Right. However, that is not to say that my faith is not strong, my religion is not strong, and what that says to me is I have a God. Mm-hmm. And it's the when same you know, God I believe that your religion is not that is that is still strong. Are you referring to your spirituality? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely okay. I am. Because, because, because I'm not I'm not tied. Say, some people would say that there's a difference between religion and spirituality. Yeah. And fair enough, and I, I'm open to that too. It, it becomes for me, it becomes a personal belief. So, mm-hmm. whatever anyone is feeling or what they're tied to, I admire that as well. That that's cool. Mm-hmm. I, I have no judgment around that. But for me, when it comes to being your sovereign self, it means about coming. For me, it means about coming from within, and. Figuring out what makes sense for me with my co-creator, which is, I believe, and this is just my thought process, I believe is everyone's Mm co-creator. But how they look at it, what lens they look at it through is up to them. And that's part of the whole free will concept. So I may not attend church regularly. It doesn't mean that I believe any less in God in my thought process, nor for me does it mean that God is not with me every moment, every minute, every day. Doesn't mean that he's not co-creating with me. It doesn't mean that she's not with me in every minute. Here's an interesting thought, too, with regards to religions. Originally, when the religions, each religion had its initial birth on the planet, and I firmly believe that when a particular system of thinking, which eventually became a religion, was actually birthed, it was far different than what the religion is that we see today. Yes. Meaning that throughout time, the religion had a tendency to be pulled apart, dogmas were increased, and it was usually done by people in power who did not want the power to be given back to the people to make their own choices. Instead, they wanted to get control. Now, what I find is interesting is when I said that 
even within the religious bodies that we have today, we're starting to find individuals who are awakening to their sovereign self within the structure of of the religion itself. So what I'm looking at and saying is, as people continue to develop the sovereign self, their spiritual beliefs, which is no longer a religious belief, perspective, let's say, will then have the ability to re-influence the religion, because as we as we look at, at religion today, there's a lot of religion that causes separation and strife, and yet the religious people, the people who are in charge, are having a difficult time trying to revise the religion in order to remove some of these passages that many of us do not believe actually came from God. Now, it won't be up to those people who are empowered to do the changes. It will come from within. It will come from me and you and Karen and all of those individuals who are beginning to embrace their sovereign self. Once we start doing that and we start emitting the frequencies of what we're becoming, it will indeed have effect on all the other people within that religion and the changes will happen internally. Yeah, I think it was Neil Donald Walsh in one of his conversations with God that said, it's not a matter of, as you said, throwing the baby out with the bathwater and getting rid of the religion. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of expanding the religion to greater awareness. That's so right. So they build upon what they have and build to where they want to go. That's yeah. right. And that, that greater awareness will be people who are exploring their sovereign identity, their sovereign self, and redeveloping a new spirituality based on what they glean from their soul, their oversoul, and their spirit. Right. And what a wealth of knowledge that's available to us within organized religion. Mm-hmm. Truth be told, there is a lot of phenomenal scriptures, a lot of great learnings, and a lot of great mentors mm-hmm. that can guide us and show us a perspective, if you will. Mm-hmm. But we as individuals, thinking about our own free will, we have the opportunity and the obligation to ourselves and to our co-creator to walk alongside that and see what resonates with us. And I'll go back to, as Martin always says, what resonates with us, and this is just for me personally, I can't speak for others, but coming from my heart center. What makes sense for me? And I've explored a number of different religions from from a theology perspective, and there's a lot in religions that I don't buy into, if, for lack of a better term, in the entirety of it. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of great things. So I excerpt that and say, how can I use that with my free will in a positive way, coming from my heart center, to improve myself and humanity? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very interesting that when you say that, and I said it before, and I, I know people probably take umbrage to it. Your beliefs, as you said, have to be yours. They have to be personal. Mm -hmm. They have to be felt within you as to be true. Mm -hmm. And I've had many conversations with people of many different religions. And I haven't met one, well, no, I did meet one, sorry. I haven't met many that do not look at their religion and go, yes, I love it, I'll do this, I'll do that, but I really don't like this part and I won't follow. That seems to be common. There's always parts that people say Mm -hmm. no. Mm -hmm. That is good because I believe that if you're just following by rote and mimicking everything someone in your religion tells you and you haven't thought about it and you're just repeating it, then you have no beliefs at all. Right, and you're also not following God's tenet of giving you free will. You're right. just using someone else's will. Yeah. I agree with you both wholeheartedly. And I would suggest that perhaps, at least this is my perspective, is that 
when we look at organized religion, we have a Bible, we have the First Testament, we have all kinds of different, you know, we have the New Age Bible. The there, Torah, there's all, all these there's, texts, there's yeah. all kinds, and from every different wow. religion. Yeah. And those, from my perspective, are all interpretations of what we believe we've learned, and it's been passed down. None of us were there, so none of us know it to be absolute. From my perspective, I actually look to the God that I know, who lives and breathes with me every day that I get to co-create with. And I get to have a, make no mistake, I don't have a little convo with God where he says, hey, Karen, how are you today? But I get to listen to things that we've talked about before with respect to your intuition, your gut feeling. We all know what that pit in our stomach feels or that pulsing in a a nerve over your eye, something that tells you something doesn't feel right. So I take all of those things and I say, how does it work for me? What works for me? And again, it has to come back to what would God do in a loving manner? I agree. Well, that's a good way to put it. It's interesting that when we talk about free will, obviously, we've gone on to the belief part of it because we are free to believe whatever we want we're free to do whatever we wish Mm -hmm. but as we said there is accountability and responsibility and i when i say that i'll say it again responsibility and my definition here is what do you do that will come from your heart that is loving as opposed to unloving yeah and Mm -hmm. to me that's being responsible Mm -hmm. when i look at anyone's beliefs while they're free to believe what they wish my belief is that if I see something that is purposely harming someone else, putting someone else down, that to me is not what this is all about. Mm -hmm. I think it all sort of rolls together because as we're talking about you, Karen, and your belief that you follow what's in your heart and what what resonates with you. Mm -hmm. As I said, many people in various religions I've spoken to also behave the same way to what they're taught. And Ron, you were saying essentially the same thing is that about accountability and no judgment and all the fear and everything else that pushes people in a different direction. Mm -hmm. When you look at all that, I have one question I always ask. What would God want for us? Would it be a wonderful outcome of joy, peace, and harmony? Or would it be a horrible outcome? Absolutely. Absolute suffering and everything else, pain and suffering and whatnot. I believe that God has given us all the tools we need by just looking at the free will to get rid of our suffering, to get rid of our pain, Mm -hmm. and to get rid of all that when we're at the point now where we finally can look at that and go, yes, we can. And this is why this point in history is so important. There's been many points in history where that has never been strong enough or come through enough with awareness to realize that we could do that. Now, I think for the first time, we're actually coming through to a point where we can look at that and go, I want joy. (laughs) Well, actually, you know, Martin, something sparked me there, and I'm going to digress just for a moment. Sure. But a while ago, you and I were having a conversation about watching the news, and when there's that accident on the highway, everyone stops and looks. Mm -hmm. And then there's a huge backup, and we think, wow, how is everybody looking at that tragic and that so amazement like reality TV? (laughs) And you gave me a really interesting perspective, which has resonated with me that I want to share with our listeners, if if I may. (laughs) And that was about another opportunity for us not to be involved in, but to see. 
So when we see an accident on the highway, we have the opportunity to feel every emotion, fear, pain, love, sorrow, expansion, all of those things without actually living it. And that maybe in many ways, as we've seen in, you know, I mean, all the political upheaval and all of that stuff, but we have an opportunity to see things and then decide, how does that make us feel? And I think in some ways, if I've got the straight, Martin, it actually kind of, without living it, we get to go through those emotions and feel them, absorb them and figure out how that moves us forward. Yes, how we would react under those. Right. Now, the same thing, I think I said, applies to our fascination with disaster movies or movies where someone's in that type of situation. It allows you to think about what you would do and who you would be during that situation or how you avoid going there altogether. So what did the person in the movie do that had that accountability? And a simple one is they were driving drunk. So you have the choice to drink and drive or not to drink and drive. If you look at that and decide you won't drink and drive and you make alternative transportation and everything else, then you will never be a drunk driver who kills other people and goes off the road somehow. So all of these situations that we look at in movies and in real life and everything else, I've always looked on as being examples to teach us something about how we would not only behave and bring forward empathy and everything else, because that would be there too, but it also adds that extra layer of what would you do and what possibly cause them to go there that you could avoid and not go there. So there's many layers to it, as you said, that just keeps going. It's all good because you don't actually have to experience something to understand it and avoid it. And that's the key. I think once upon a time, as I started this journey, I thought I had to experience everything to understand it. And in fact, there are words of wisdom and visions of wisdom and things happening around me that allow me to experience it almost like vicariously and still allow me that free will to make choices, make decisions, take accountability, and be responsible for the outcomes. You can choose the path of joy, and you can also choose the path of sorrow. There's no judgment here from anybody either way. And primarily, I come from that aspect with regards to understanding that God doesn't judge whether you take the path of of joy or the path of sorrow. Everything is the path of experience. But if you're looking at at the path of sorrow and you're saying, I don't think I want to go down that, that's not a judgment. No, <laughs> it's not a judgment. Yeah. That Absolutely is simply, not. That is simply exercising a free will, saying this is not something that's going to bring me joy, so I choose not to go down that path. Right. And the accountability there is if you do go down that path, don't be surprised that you don't get any joy. Yeah, and you know, we have, <laughs> in regards to, you know. to accountability, humanity has created a form of judgment called the law. Yes. Which we will apply to what we consider to be not the path of joy or following the path of sorrow, which is probably, you know, the path of pain and suffering. But but what I find interesting about our legal system is that it doesn't have a tendency to educate the person with regards to making a different choice, one that will lead to the path of joy rather than continue down the path of sorrow. No, exactly. And this is where, in some indigenous cultures, I find their system of correction far more effective 
than our legal system where we put people in prison and we virtually hide them from public view. In the native traditional experience, who you've offended, you have to actually go back and make amends to. And to me, that's always made sense. To me, that does make sense because you're amending the suffering that you've caused someone else by making amends, but you're also assisting yourself in being able to choose a different path. You're also in the midst of going back to help that person and make amends. You're finally beginning to understand that they're a person. You become aware of who they are. And you recognize them as a person as opposed to just an object to use. That's right. More and more often, I find that people who choose habitually to choose the path of sorrow, they eventually develop the inability to be able to feel or empathize with what pain they're causing other people. Mm -hmm. Simply because if they were to allow themselves to do that, the pain that they are causing other people, if they could feel that, it would virtually annihilate them. They would not know where to go with the, the pain that they're causing so many people because it's so monumental that it would be overwhelming to them. So they have a tendency to not want to be able to develop the empathic ability. That's why people who are psychotic at the top of the power structure on our planet, they don't feel what they actually do to other people. They have no problems starting a war and annihilating three to four to six million people. They have no empathy whatsoever. These are the type of people that have continued to go over and over and over again down the path of sorrow because God allows it through free will. This is the end result which can happen with some of these lives. Yeah. We all stand back and let them do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm going to throw out something out there that is going to be a little bit weird. When we say things like they, Mm -hmm. and we say they Mm -hmm. have no, they Mm -hmm. have this, they have that. How do we know that? Is that not a judgment? It is, and they is probably the wrong word, but we should always say some of them or most of them, if we know that to be true. And better yet, Karen, some of us. Yes. Exactly. And I think that's one of the things that, as I go through my journey, Uh and it's a personal journey, I'm being very cognizant of words and what words say. And I find that words like, they do this, we do that. Yeah. Us. Yeah. They. The better way. Us, us is the better term. It's very all encompassing if we well, if we it also causes separation. Well yeah. it does, yeah. Because I have no idea about yes, I would agree, Ron, to what you said about there are things that go on that I may not understand or may not resonate with me. Mm-hmm. But I find it a little bit of a leap to say they did this because because I don't know why they did it. And that's true. I think considering we had a program that spent quite a bit of time on we, they, and us, thank you for the correction. It shows you how easily people can slip into. We're human. We're human. We're human. They're doing the they. It's one of those things, and it's a good point, that free will is interesting in that we have taken it and begin building these things in separation. Mm-hmm. like they. And they is, you're quite right, a very, very misleading term. Mm-hmm. We are all one. Yeah, true. With the law of one, there is only one of us on the planet. That's true. When you come from that level of understanding, they no longer makes any sense. That's so if we, if we tried, gentlemen, I'm just going to throw this out there. Sure. What if moving forward, we all speak in us? Yeah. 
the royal we. The ro- or <laughs> the royal we. we. Whereas yeah. I'm not infallible. I am absolutely imperfected in all of my perfection. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I believe humanity, that's who we are. So maybe as, when I think about the concept of our thoughts, our words, our actions, and what that resonates, if we can try to change our language that there's very oneness, which is what I know we all promote mm-hmm. and we very, very much believe in, and yet sometimes our language, and it, it's not a fault one way or the other, it's a, a course of the human language and it's what we fall into, same as jargon that we use. Yep. But maybe we can consciously think about how do we make it more encompassing of all of one. Yep. You know, and, and I agree with that. Even today's spirituality has a tendency to cause separation unknowingly. There's this yeah. well-known phrase called, not my will, but your will, is a prime example of misunderstanding on a spiritual, on a spiritual level. There is only one will, and that is the will of God. Everybody has been given an aspect of his or her will. There's only one will. So when you say, not my will, but your will, meaning God's will, that means that you're saying that your will is apart and separate from God's will, and that is, a, that is an illusion. That is not true. The correct phrase might be, not my will, but our will. And even there, you're disregarding, you're saying that anything that the will does that follows the path of sorrow, that follows the path of dark, darkness, is separate from God. That is completely erroneous. Everything is in the body of God, whether that's the dark or the light. Right. It's all a part of God. Yeah. So even there, when you're saying, not my will, but our will, trying to make whole the oneness of the will, even there, you're still causing a, a, the, the separation with that statement. And how many spiritual people have heard come back and, and disregard their will, the will of their altered ego, for instance, as not being a part of God? It is all God. I agree with that, Ron. That makes sense. Now, the only issue in, in our language, is, as Karen says, our language hinders us so much. Mm-hmm. We have to always say, you know, quite often to explain ourselves, my belief or I believe, which is an individual belief. So we really have to play the language that, okay, this is my belief and this is why I believe it, which is open communication and everyone has free will to believe what they want. Mm -hmm. But then when we get into explaining anybody else or religions, then how do we use the language is the question. I know we don't want they... I think it's very hard to separate all the time. Because at that point, we can't say we. I mean, it's technically true, but I don't think people would understand. If we say we believe. No, I know. (laughs) I I think from from my perspective, if I I may, I think that the word some, Mm. some before everything, before some before they, some before them. Or even many. Or, or, yeah, whatever that looks like. Instead Instead of doing it in totality like, that religion, right? It's it's more of some of that religion, and I'm not sure that we get to pick and choose whether it's many or few. Well, it's, I think you can determine whether it's many or few, but in in many cases, on many things, did I just use many twice? <laughs> but yes, in some cases, if you're unsure, you should say some. Yeah, and if, I mean, you know from surveys or whatever that it's many, then right. you say many. And and when we're talking about specifics around stats for sure 
But I, I think when we, we start talking about they, them, it's mm-hmm. some of. Yes. Or even if you're going to go to the religious beliefs, you could say the hierarchy of this, this religion says. Yeah. Which exactly. doesn't mean everyone believes it, but you're saying that's what they're teaching. Right. Yeah, that's what's, be, the, what's out there. Yes, absolutely. So, no, I agree. You're right. It's somewhat off topic, but I think it's oddly on topic. (laughs) (laughs) And and the problem is that we don't typically have verbiage for the unification of what we're trying to strive towards. Most of most of our language today has been based on separation and the and -hmm. and the old paradigm of separation and the illusions that uh, we firmly believed in. And the illusions, as Donald Walsh has said, has come to an end. So now we are in the process of unification. This is where we're going to need to be very creative in in trying to come up with new terms. So I applaud you, Karen. Mm -hmm. Very much. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting. The topic is free will. Yes. Yes. I said I wasn't at the beginning going to go to societal and that type of thing. But this is sort of where we've gone, which is fine, and I like it. In order to have free will, we have to allow people to have free will. Mm-hmm. And our separations hinder free will, so much so that a lot of our lack of freedoms is because of our separations and everyone classifying people or telling people what they can and can't do or who's more important than other people and all of that. It tends to kill free will in so many people. Mm-hmm. There's also the problem of when, we, when we're talking that there are always, there's always consequence to your action. And, and when I said that our legal system throwing people in jail for causing harm to others right. doesn't seem to work. It, the, the idea that the punishment, quote unquote, that we have to elicit on another for causing pain, that, that somehow there, there's almost like a vengeance that's there. We're not, it's almost like they're not interested in what, in allowing the person to learn from his experiences. They're more concerned with blaming them for how they're feeling and the taste of revenge saying, uh, you know, I hope they rot in prison for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. No, it's and true. thinking that that is justified. Well, the interesting thing there is that we keep saying that our laws and the penalties that we put in place if you break a law is there as a deterrent. But if it's only there as a deterrent, then when you actually have it happen and put it into practice, does that make it a deterrent anymore? It doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and that's where it falls apart. We contradict ourselves. And, well, then and it becomes clearly, about rehabilitation. And clearly working as a deterrent simply doesn't work because people know what the consequences are going to be. In certain states, the, the, the death penalty is there for – and still in those states, you're going to still see people committing murder. Yeah. So oh, as a deterrent, it, it fails miserably. Well, and it's interesting, too, that we always think we're so advanced and so sophisticated. Mm-hmm. But I look on a lot of our how our justice system works and goes, well, is it really any different than a 17th century law somewhere in Europe, I believe it was, that if you were caught doing something and people believed you were guilty, in order to prove your innocence, you had to take a iron container that was under boiling water with bare hands and carry it across the room and put it on a table. And if you couldn't do so, you were guilty. 
and, and, I doubt and going, our logic on our system seems to be not far off. Well, and, <laughs> how, and how is that going to assist the person in understanding? Is this Fine. something that God would do? <laughs> well, at the end of the day, this is a really tough discussion because yeah, this comes with someone who has done something where they've had a free will, they've made a choice, they've yeah. made a decision, they have to be accountable, yeah. and now they have to deal with the outcome. And the question would be, who gets to, and I hate to use this word, actually, I'm not going to use the word, who gets to decide, not who gets to judge? Mm -hmm. What is the outcome? I would think that, and I would hate to be the person, this is a very tough call, but how do you decide what is the best outcome, even coming from your heart center? Because you have so many variables to think about. You have to think about, depending upon whatever the crime may or may not have been, the situation, the, the person who committed it, the, the victims, the family of the victims. It's not very cut and dried, but I would suggest that as a society, as we move forward, if we continue to come from our heart center, we will be a little bit more able to see rather than throw them in the slammer, as we've talked about, <laughs> and you know, throw away the keys to, is there an opportunity for rehabilitation? Is there an opportunity? Even though no matter how heinous the crime, and I'm not suggesting they don't have to be accountable. I absolutely do believe you have to be accountable. Uh -huh. but what is the second <clears throat> stage? Well, it, and it, because, of, because of our program, being called the sovereign self, that's an individual choice each person must make on their on their own. What I said earlier with regards to punishment, that's not something that God elicits. In fact, my understanding of the law of one is that if you choose the path of sorrow, which is a free will choice, that the path in and of itself is the form of punishment. So mm -hmm. because eventually, if you do something wrong or if you've harmed someone, you yourself will have to suffer under the fires of self-forgiveness. It's no one else can forgive you. You have to forgive yourself. So typically speaking, redemption can only come from the self. It can't come from anything external to you. Great point. And that's why I liked your earlier point, Ron, that having them assist the victims. Yeah. So if you, yes. if you stole from someone's store, then you go and work with them until that item is, is paid back again. And, and collectively, this is something that we can begin to promote more of. And again, it's that it's the individual. They could either choose to make amends in that fashion, or they can choose to look the other way and say, uh -uh, "I don't think so. I think you're a, you're all a bunch of assholes, and I'm not going there." It's all individual choice. It's all a matter of the self, the sovereign self, and complete autonomousness when it comes to free will. Yeah, but doesn't it all root back originally? And I know I've said it before. And that what we are teaching our children, and I've often said the mm -hmm. three R's of reading, writing, and arithmetic mm -hmm. are least important. It should be rights, <laughs> respect, and responsibility. Whoa. That we're not teaching our children that what the consequences are to not only them, but everyone else in humanity. That's right. By going along all these routes, we don't teach about how it is all one. We're not teaching yet. No. But as with Donald Walsh was just saying, we are a collective society that has, with this ascension process that we're going through, we are seeing the 
old illusions finally coming to conclusion. They have exhausted their usefulness. We have learned as much from them as possible, and now we're turning over an entire new leaf. We are turning an entire new paradigm. And subsequently, all of what we're teaching and we're still teaching today is still of the old paradigm, and it's going to take a few generations before we can actually begin to put in the concept that the indigenous you know, society believes in assisting the healing rather than continuing the punishment. Right. And then when we go back to, it's not a judgment, it's accountability. That's right. That's where we have to begin teaching our children yes. what that means. Because it, I don't it, think everyone, anyone understands what accountability is anymore. There's a few schools that teach it, but yeah. most of our public systems go nowhere near that. No, no, not yet. Not As I said, it's going to take a couple of generations to really revise and let go of the old paradigm. We've been suffering under the paradigm of separation now for thousands and thousands of years. Right. It's, not, it's not going to magically disappear overnight, although we all like to think that it might. <laughs> it's still going to take some generations of retooling, re-educating, and those who are on the path of the sovereign self – being a part of the discussion of this, of where is it that we want to go? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, There, are, you know, thinking about it, there are, I know, dozens of schools that teach along those paths, mm -hmm. as well as reading, writing, and arithmetic. And I'm just curious, I know they're not that old, most of these schools, so I'm sure, I'd be very curious to follow up at some point and see, mm -hmm. what are the children from these schools growing up to become? The whole concept of homeschooling has been because many people are beginning to realize just how ineffective our education system is. Yeah, but unfortunately, too, a lot of the homeschooling is because they don't. Oh, of course. I mean, they're, yeah. they're still in no position. They are completely ensconced in the new paradigm. So they're still, they, they themselves are, and here I'm using that word, they, Karen. But <laughs> I want to hear some of, them, of are. some of them are are still ensconced in the old paradigm and they are trying to come from the highest good that they know. And eventually that higher good will continue to evolve, hopefully, and they won't get stuck on, well, this is as highest that I'm capable of going and I'm not going to grow any further. That's an, in an interesting statement. And it made me think of something like, Jesus said, you will do greater things than I. Yes. Shouldn't that be every parent's view? And I know that when we, if you teach children, you know, rights, respect, and responsibility, they may come home and point out some things that'll make us, you know, if, if you're a parent, uncomfortable. <laughs> but I think that's a good thing. Oh, absolutely. I remember, and it's a short story, but I remember my daughter's now 26, and I remember her being in, uh, I don't know, grade three or four, and she came home and said, Mom, what are you doing throwing that tin can in the garbage? Oh. And I was like, what? <laughs> and that's, what, 24 years ago? Yeah, recently. Uh, and I was actually behind the times for most of the generation. I hadn't awakened to the whole recycle energy. What are we doing to our environment? I was totally oblivious to all of that. Mm -hmm. I'm sad to say, but yay, guys, I'm here. Yeah, but uh -huh. you listened I yes, listened. You listened. And it there was are... very important to her. And it was like, Ooh, okay, now we're going to do boom, 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 boom. Got it. And, that, and that's one of the, the good things about 
the new spirituality, which has always suggested that as we continue to evolve, our children will have much to teach us. So don't, oh, yes. don't reject what they have to offer. Well, and, and listen to what they say. It's funny you brought that up, Karen. <laughs> I was out front of our office building the other day. And a father, I assume it was the father, he was old enough, and his son, who's probably about five, were walking along. And the father said to him, well, you know, that's what happens in relationships. Sometimes you have friends, sometimes you have enemies. And the son looked up at him and said, what's an enemy? Me. In a weird sort of, couldn't even pronounce it right. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's just lovely. The child doesn't even recognize what an enemy is. Have an understanding is. of what yeah. that is. I just thought that was beautiful. Mm -hmm. That if you listen to children more and oh, what yes. they don't get, don't try and explain to them what they should get. Sit back and think, why am I going there? Yeah. <laughs> and that was beautiful. So true. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I was saying also we need new vocabulary for the unification of spirit and where it is that we're actually heading. Mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of the terminology that we currently use is of the old, old separations paradigm, yep. and it's very limiting in what it can portray and what it, what it describes. And can, as Carrie, you already know, when it's, it's so addictive to be able to cause a separation by using the term they or but or just some of these words should actually be almost removed from our everyday usage yeah. they should ron, well, that's can you get, like, can you that get on that ron can you can you make that happen yeah <laughs> we're trying to we're trying it's but, an but, individual choice yeah <laughs> but then that brings in the word enemy too the child didn't understand it what is an enemy exactly i mean that talk about separation yeah uh -huh. When we classify people as enemies, we've judged, crucified, and thrown them out with the, the baby. We've thrown yep. them out with the bathwater. And the issue they is, are... Martin, what's really cool about that is the child did not understand it. It shows us how, how pure our children are or until it, it we all, give also, them. It also shows that it, it, if we can only get out of our way and stop using the verbiage of the old de the paradigm, that we internally, innately have an understanding of what unification spirit is all about. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and that's evidence of in, in our children. If we don't teach them the technology and the, verb and the verbiage of separation, they would naturally flow in a unification fashion, and they'd be that much for they, again, would be that much further ahead of the game in helping to redirect humanity on a more evolved and enlightened path. Yes. It's interesting the way we always feel we have to, I'll use the term, brainwash our children into believing yeah. what we believe. Yeah. Because we won't believe that our beliefs, of course, most people don't believe their beliefs are in error or causing harm, but somehow we have to Get our children that, not onto that path. Well, you know, what's interesting that is the fear of abandonment. Of well, no, but this is the catch-22 I love, because if you teach your children rights, respect, and responsibility, mm -hmm. I believe they will accept their parents even more. Mm -hmm. I agree. Because they'll, they'll recognize it as a cry for help. <laughs> Martin, similar to the, the young boy that you saw, I can actually resonate with that. I remember a number of years ago, when we think about terms of separation, I remember my daughter coming home from school and she was very, very young, probably grade six, seven. And I remember her coming home just horrified and yelling at me and very angry at me. And her words out of her mouth as she walked in the door was, 
Mom, why didn't you tell me Victoria was black? And I was stunned. And I listened to her rant and rave, and she was yelling and screaming, and she was crying, and yada, yada, yada. And when she finally calmed down, I said, honey, what are you talking about? Mommy, you didn't tell me Victoria was black. And I said, honey, is this your friend for like the last five years? Yes, mom. You know who she is. Are you not listening to me? Why did you not tell me? Tell you what? That she was black. I said, honey, you saw her every day. Mommy, I didn't know until today some kids were really cruel to her on the playground. And they said, Victoria, you're black. How dare you not tell me that, mom? That was the proudest moment in my parenting. (laughs) Yeah. It was, my daughter was so angry at me, and I had to work through that. But what I thought was really cool is my daughter had no idea. But she was so mortified by what the other children were saying. Martin, back to what you said about when when the father was talking about enemies. It's like, are we putting that on our children? We are. We teach them them that, yes. They don't need to know it. And I I can't even remember. I mean, we worked through the whole issue, and Victoria and Kayla stayed friends forever, but or friends for as long as young friends stay friends for. But it was a realization of, wow. Did you finally explain to her that those who were causing the separation were in error? (laughs) Well, I actually said to her, I said, Kayla... Is this the same girl that you looked at every day? Did you not know she was black? What do you mean, Mom? I said, did you not that her skin is darker than yours? No, she didn't, Ron. At that, that, see, that's at, a at that instant, she didn't. And that that is- was her. And, and maybe I should add that in. But at, at that instant, she didn't. You know? She had no concept. I said, Kayla. That the color of skin can cause such a separation. I said, but she did not even know her color was black. Ron, she was completely, it was like, Mom, why didn't you tell me she was black? I said, Kayla, you've played with her for how many years? Did you not see the color of her skin? What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. You did not see it at all. Wow. And I I was like, Kayla. And she goes, well, Mom, she was just my friend. I never really thought it through. I I didn't really give it much thought. I, I thought she was okay so she's darker skin so she has a tan like it was it was non-issue to Kayla mm-hmm. and I was I was the bad guy until yeah, well, we worked it through and that just shows the point we should listen to our children more yeah yeah I was so it was like it was that story resonates with me forever what is it that we say in our day-to-day lives that shape our children exactly exactly and it, you know yeah. Yeah, it is a very good point. You've said it many times, Karen, that when children are playing in a playground or in a sandbox or what have you, they don't care about color or gender or dress or any of that. Or even language. Language. They just play and laugh together. It shows you that when we are children, we have none of these prejudicial separation conceptions. No barriers. Until they get taught. Exactly. That's what we have to begin to hopefully stop teaching Uh and I believe firmly that the more people that move in that direction each one that moves that way will change ten more Uh exactly if not more so it is a ripple effect Uh it all starts with you 
Oh, thanks. <laughs> it all comes from within. It all comes from within. I, I think what it does, guys, is it opens our hearts to understand that everyone is individual. Mm-hmm. And everyone is a co-creator with God. We may have our own beliefs, and that's perfectly fine. And how it resonates with us is also perfectly fine. But it's understanding that we all as individuals have our own free will. Mm -hmm. We get to make our choices. We get to make decisions. And to that avail, we're accountable. Mm -hmm. And we have to deal with the outcomes. And the beauty is some of them are awesomely positive. Some of them maybe not so much. Mm -hmm. But remember, we co-created them. And we have the opportunity to change them in every moment because every moment is a new moment. Yes. You don't need to berate yourself or beat yourself up. It's like, yes, you have to take accountability for what you did in the past, mm-hmm. but you get to move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It becomes an experience that you can change who you mm-hmm. wish to be. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And on that note, we are down to our last couple of minutes. So there you go. This was a good topic, although I think we're just beginning to touch on the concept of free will because one of the one other aspect that we didn't talk about was that everything is allowed. Yes. With free will and belief, I find many people are very loud. Oh, sorry, you said allowed. <laughs> allowed. <laughs> I bet you guys are waiting there with bated breath for next show. <laughs> there are other aspects of free will that we're, we're just beginning to touch. And even at our current understanding of free will – Given 10 years from now, I'm sure we will all understand free will in a completely different light. The ever-expansion. Yes. Yep. We'll be here, and we hope you'll be there, too. Yeah, definitely. And you're also allowed to sit there, folks, and go, they're nuts. (laughs) But uh, either way, please go on to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Sovereign Self and tell us what you like, don't like, or would like to talk about. Uh And that would be wonderful. We would very much appreciate that. Yes, and we can always guarantee that you'll be surprised because every week we are. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So with that, everyone, do have a fabulous and wondrous week, and we will be back in one week. Have a wonderful week, everyone. We appreciate you guys. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Sovereign Self. We will be back with another show that will celebrate the beauty and perseverance of you and your sovereign self. If you would like more information or to send questions to Martin, Karen or Ron, please go to their Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash Sovereign Self. See you next week.